Today's episode of Your Stories is brought to you by Field Notes. Field Notes brand, USA-made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrand.com or 400 North May in Chicago for more information. Thanks, Field Notes! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everybody, I'm Eric Arnaud, and this is the first official episode of our summer podcast series, Tour Stories, or something. I don't know. This is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories Tour Stories spinoff. For the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear all the shows that went on and recorded on the road for two glorious weeks in early May. Now I know we still have one more Chicago kickoff show to get back to, the first part of which aired last week, and you'll hear the second part in a couple weeks, but the inspiration for this very episode is super timely so I wanted to make sure to get it up ASAP. So, if you watch the Nerdalogs website or Facebook page pretty closely, you might have noticed we launched a new podcast last week. Not just an old show with a clever new pun name. This is brand new. It's a collaboration with writer and producer Gary Lucy, who you may remember from the catch-up show that we hosted a bit ago. On Thursday, we dropped Let's Get It On, a comedy music podcast set at a fictional community radio station's smooth jams slash loveline-style call-in show, Silky Beats and Satin Sheets. Since Let's Get It On's launch coincided with my tour, I thought it would be cool to make our Los Angeles show double as a launch party for the new podcast. So we did! I turned basically the whole night over to Gary. He booked it, he hosted it, he brought a lot of incredible talent to the show. Thank you so much for everything. This was a real blast, real thrill to work with you as always. So... With all that said, this episode we've got stories from Let's Get It On Talent, Jane Edith Wilson, Steve Benequist, Zachary Barton, and Sharon Houston, plus one opening song from myself. There's more songs and more stories from the rest of the cast and friends next week. Uh, so some plugs, the tour I'm on has one more stop this Friday, 6pm at the Nomad Pub in Minneapolis, and that's going to be a reunion with the wonderful Claire Friedman. Then we're back in Chicago this Sunday for our first official show at the Beat Kitchen. That is super exciting. That takes place at 7pm in the upstairs space, and we're going to be giving the show a bit of a philanthropic bend, so watch Facebook for more info on that this week. 
And big thanks to everyone who supported our tour, whether it was coming to the show, buying me a drink, that's really cool, letting me crash, or giving us some dollars on Patreon. This has been such a good time, and you're about to enjoy the fruits of it. Let's get it on. This is a classic 90s jam that I have no shame in, uh, in loving. It's by Paula Abdul. Hell yeah. You're the whisper of a summer breeze You're the kiss that puts my soul at ease What I'm saying is meant to you Here's my story and the story goes you give love, you give love, and more than heaven knows. You're gonna see, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna take this love right to you. All my heart, all the joy. Oh, baby, baby, please rush, rush, hurry, hurry, love, come to me. Rush, rush, I can feel it. I can feel you here with me. Hurry, hurry, love, come to me. Ooh, what you do to me? All I want from you is what you are. Even if you're right next to me, you're still too far away. If I'm not inside your arms. I get dramatic, baby, yes and no. But I need you, I want you. Oh man, I love you so. You're gonna see, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna take this love right to you. All my heart, all the joy. Oh baby, baby, please. Hurry, hurry, love, come to me. Rush, rush. I can feel it, I can feel you here with me. Hurry, hurry, love, come to me. Ooh, what you do to me? You know, here's a fun fact about this song. It uh, it went to number one in 1991, and it unseated my very favorite song in the world. Well, not quite, but a little bit of this guy here, because these smooth jams are not my style normally, but this shit is. Saying I love you is not the words I want to hear from you. It's not that I want you not to say, but if you only knew how easy it would be to show me how you feel more than words oops is all you have to do to keep me real and then you wouldn't have to say that you love me cause i already know a little medley there thanks guys so like i said i'm on tour I've hosted three of these shows in the last week, and I'm not going to say I'm tired of it, but when Gary told me he wanted to host tonight, I was like, yes, please. So 
Without, the number of people that I've seen host this show are very slim, and it's usually people also in the Nerdlogs who are leaving. Uh, but tonight, I'm just going to take a break and turn it over to one of my very favorite podcast people in the world, Mr. Gary Lucy. <laughs> He's all tangled up. It's 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 extreme already. We got this this show. You guys, I have to acknowledge I'm so nervous, like in an outsized way of the stakes. You know, it's just like, <laughs> what's gonna go? Like, how oh, some technical difficulties gonna happen? But uh, but that's that's part of the fun. That uh, nerd meld, right? It's that DIY aesthetic. You know, like uh, it's part of the charm. So um, so when that happens, just like, oh, that's charming. Instead of like. You know? <laughs> so don't be mad. But uh, I, I, I like I, I stayed up like all night making these little video clips, you know, for these um, little fake commercials and stuff that we play on the podcast to, to for a visual element for the uh, for the crowd who was nice enough to sh- uh, show up. Please give yourselves a hand for showing up. And I forgot to ask them to set up the screen. So, but that's okay because we're gonna roll with it because. Uh, the uh, Let's Get It On is a podcast. It's about uh, it's a love letter to the radio and that intimacy that exists, that relationship you build with the radio and the theater of the mind and all that. And it's um, we work so hard. There's so many funny people involved. Uh, Retta, people like Retta, she's good on there, and uh, Wendy McClendon, Covey, Mrs. Goldberg, she's, she shows up. Uh, tons of just it's it's gonna be great. Um, but the uh, point I was getting at is that it's like, if you like um, things like SCTV or um, The Best Show with Tom Sharpling and stuff like that, it kind of has that thing where it kind of creates a whole little world, you know, where there's like, you know, fake cities and fake businesses and it kind of, so you like, you like kind of get immersed into that whole thing. So um, I think you're going to love it. So please, please subscribe to uh, Let's Get It On. Um, I, won't, I won't blather on too much longer, but I will say um, uh, it's about a, um, it's, it's about this community radio station in a small town in, uh, like North Central California, and um, uh, I don't know if, if you know like uh, college radio and community radio, but uh, it's not one style all day long. It's just like blocks, like different blocks of really targeted, obscure like shows and stuff. And it focuses on one show in particular called Silky Beats and Satin Sheets, <laughs> which is a, uh, a call and advice program that plays a lot of uh, you know slow jams, smooth jazz, quiet storm, uh, some soft rock, extreme wouldn't be uh, out of the hand. Just like uh, uh, baby making music is what they call it. <laughs> Panty droppers sometimes. <laughs> Grown folks music. So, uh, so when 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 the host of that show, Mr. Victavius Saint Valour, su- <laughs> suddenly goes missing, it's up to a fellow named Gideon Spotswood to uh, step in, and um, and he's not as smooth. And uh, and he doesn't know that much about slow jams or anything else besides microbrewing or uh, and home brewing. That's his passion. So he tries to he tries to get everything back to that. With uh, sp- speaking of Keith Sweat, you know when I'm sweating. You know, like, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, so 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 that's how that goes. And um, uh, the very first uh, voice that you hear on episode one uh, is our narrator, and she's uh, kind of her name is Prudence Plumley. And uh, she's kind of like a cross between Rod Serling and uh, Julie Andrews. Uh, she exists like outside of time and space, but <laughs> but she's reassuring. She's like here to help us and guide us along because there, there's some light science fiction elements too to this. So, and 
Saw the nerds perk up. What? <laughs> Science fiction. So, um, as luck would have it, uh, the, uh, the lovely lady who plays Prudence Plumley is here with us tonight, and she's going to help us get things kicked off. Uh, how about a warm welcome for Ms. Jane Edith Wilson? <laughs> I don't kiss all the hosts, just the ones I'm married to. Oh, cute, huh? <laughs> and if you listen to it, Prince Plumley, the accent is like what we like to call fake French. Um, kind of like the way Madonna talks, you know what I mean? Gen- general classy lady voice. Um, so, because somebody was asking me, that's not a very good British accent, Jane. I'm like, it's not supposed to be a British accent. Anyway. <laughs> so, my piece is called Dumb Love. Sometimes I love dumb love songs, and sometimes I love dumb radio stations. Not all the time, but at some very key times in my life, the mainstream and the mundane have been a real lifesavers for me. Mandy by Barry Manilow, Back Home Again by John Denver, Long Long Time by Linda Ronstadt, Longer by Dan Fogelberg, <laughs> Lady by Little River Band. Yeah, and Everything I Own by Bread. Yeah, yeah, I know, it's a problem, okay? The first time I was majorly in love, one of our commiserating points was a love of old-timey, the old-timey and nostalgic. We stalked the vintage clothing stores, me looking for flower print dresses, him looking for cardigan sweaters. Bill and I listened to the oldie station at NYC, WCBS, with Cousin Brucie. Thanksgiving was all about this massive countdown to the top 500 songs of all times. Uh, you could call in your top three songs for the survey. My number one song was Smoke Gets In Your Eyes uh, by the Ink Spots, and his was always something Elvis. Then we'd listen all weekend long. By the way, this group in Queens, these guys that all went to high school together would always call in Still of the Night over and over again and would always be number one. Anyway, <laughs> but I digress. Um, then Bill broke my heart, and everything old-timey and vintage need to be put in the back of the closet. And, and now Madonna was on the scene, and I loved her. And then Whitney Houston, and anything to do with uh, top radio and whatever fashion choices those two bitches were making, I was all about that, okay? So leggings, oversized tuxedo jacket, lingerie, lace fingerless gloves, you bet. Huge, huge hair with bright pink bow and overlined eyes and big dangly earrings. Why not? And high heels. High heels to party. High heels on my waitress shift. High heels on the subway. High heels to do my laundry. <laughs> if you were one of those freaks that wore tennis shoes and had your heels in a plastic bag, I didn't even want to look at you. Okay? And the dumb songs. They were always there, like a soft body pillow I could sink into and hug tight and sing along to uh, on pretty, much, pretty much when I was in a constant drunken stupor. Uh, Saving All My Love For You by Whitney, Crazy For You by Madonna, Always by Atlanta Star, Sweet Love by Anita Baker, Alone by Heart, Missing You by John Waite, Lost In Your Eyes by Debbie Gibson. Now don't get me wrong, when I went out dancing it was all about Prince and Bowie and Salt and Peppa and Beastie Boys, but Home Alone with my clock radio, time to turn on the schmaltz. Then I met what I thought was my next big love. It was not really true love for one another that bonded me to John, but our shared love of getting completely plastered every single day of our damn lives. (laughs) You know, uh, the relationship is not a healthy one when your nickname for each other is Iron Weed. 
you know the 1980s film where Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep play career alcoholics during the 1930s depression? Yeah. As in, hey, Ms. Ironweed, meet me after rehearsal tonight at the old Triple Inn. Got it. See you later, Mr. Ironweed. Okay. Along with drinking, uh, because, he was just, uh, because he was just someone who liked to drink a lot, uh, John was also drinking a lot because he was trying like hell not to be gay. Anyway, <laughs> the fall of 1989, I decided it was time for me to visit Los Angeles and check things out. No one was encouraging me to do this. It was just a hot idea I had. Uh, an actor from my off-Broadway off theater company had, had made the move there, and he'd been a guest star on Who's the Boss? <laughs> There's gold in them thar hills, I thought to myself. <laughs> also... <laughs> At this point in my life, I thought of myself as more of a writer than an actor, so I typed up an episode of Murphy Brown on my IBM Selectrix. I adapted my first play into a screenplay, and I made the decision I would take an Amtrak train cross-country because they had a special deal that you could go back and forth across America with three major breaks in your itinerary for $165. I decided I would pit stop in Des Moines and see my family. My dad offered to pay for Xeroxing of my scripts. Um, and then Denver to see my best friend from high school and then go on to LA, straight through the way back. My gay drunk boyfriend uh, helped, <laughs> helped me lug my travel trunk from my place in Hell's Kitchen to my uh, evening train departure, treating me to many drinks before he put me on the track at Penn Station. <sighs> Don't fall in love with some LA hotshot. Call me every day if you can. When you get back, I'll be right here on this platform to greet you. I stared out the window as the train pulled from the station and I turned the dials on my Walkman radio. The only thing I had to amuse me, aside from my journal, as we left the station, the first song that came through was Right Here Waiting For You by Richard Marks. Oh my God, it's an FM radio sign from above. That song played every single time I flipped on the radio. It played in Pennsylvania, it played in Indiana, it played in Illinois, it played in Iowa, in Colorado, in Utah and then as the train crossed into Cali. When I arrived in LA with my hot pink and black clothes, my high heels, my big hair, a palette full of improperly formatted scripts, and my alcohol... <laughs> and my alcoholism, the city did not rise up to meet me in the manner in which I thought it would. I'd purchased a creative directory at Sam French to cold call like a fiend. Assistance to assistance shook my hand and took my scripts. I called John every single day, and his machine picked up every single time, and he never called me back. Not at my parents, not at my best friend in Denver, not in L.A. I drank wine and stared at the Pacific Ocean at sunset the night before I returned to New York. My friend warned me not to move to L.A. You're so not an L.A. person. You're so New York. I can't imagine you outside of Manhattan. At that point, I couldn't either. I jumped back on the Amtrak, and the Richard Marks song started up again, playing in Arizona, then New Mexico, then Kansas, and again in Pennsylvania. I never did talk to Mr. Ironweed. He was too busy uh, starting to be gay to answer the phone. Or, <laughs> or, to even get to, or even get to Penn Station to meet my train as it rolled in. I'd blown all my money, so I walked with my trunk and my high heels all the way back to Hell's Kitchen, stopping into a Blarney Rock on 42nd Street where I knew the bartender and I could drink for free for a spell. That trip planted the seed that L.A. is a pretty awesome and maybe one day I will get my shit together and go live there. Also, on the way back to NYC, between Chicago and Pennsylvania, I struck up a conversation with a pregnant woman who'd escaped a domestic abuser and was on her way home to New Jersey, about to marry a nice man who treated her with dignity. 
That conversation and the train trip became the basis of my second play. I'm still friends with gay Mr. Ironweed. <laughs> I, no longer drink. I no longer drink. He, by some miracle of stamina and good genes, still does. <laughs> I have a bulging disc and sciatica, and I no longer own any high heels. <laughs> and whenever I hear that stupid Richard Marx song, I get a tear in my eye. If you're looking for me after the show, I might be standing in the corner quietly singing Jar of Hearts under my breath because dumb songs are still a major problem. Thank you. Keep it going for Jane. Uh, isn't she something? Love her so much. Uh, as I was writing this thing, I, I, I always assumed I would be, you know, Gideon, the nerd that takes over, and about halfway through, I was like, I don't know if I have this in me. I, I, like, I need someone with like an air of confidence about them. And uh, like, the, as you may notice, my affect, like the way I move through the world is like, like I've constantly just stepped on someone's foot accidentally. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, pardon me. My bad. You know, so. So I said like, who can I get? Who, who, who? And in swoops my knight in shining armor, who is uh, who just arrived from Ellis Island. I don't, I don't know if you'll uh, see, but um, he is um, he is uh, directing a play called Too Many Hitlers, and uh, that and he, which he also wrote as a part of the Hollywood Fringe Festival, and um, just a, a really um, super talented guy. And and I, I just I can't thank him enough for all he did to you know make my dream come true of this show. How about a big hand for Steve Benequist? I was so honored when you uh, when you contacted me because uh, you know Gary and Jane and I and a lot of other people you're going to see tonight go back a long way. We all were doing open mics together uh, starting in the late '90s, and I have long enjoyed their jokes. And just I was cracking up reading the scripts. So you're going to love this series, and uh, I, I think I'm pretty great for it until I hear my own voice, and I'm like, God damn! I send him so many more takes. Like you could do it this way or that way. Um, but my storytelling uh, contribution to tonight will be kind of be a pastiche, a little collage. Um, radio has meant a lot to me in my life. Um, on road trips with my family, my dad would play old cassettes of uh, like The Shadow. And uh, like before there was television, radio was the storytelling medium. And, uh, and that was kind of forgotten then, and there was no internet to look it up on in the 80s. But uh, we would listen to it on long car rides, and it was great. And then uh, I got to college, and I also loved music. And I, even though I knew I wanted to get into comedy, uh, I had a, a radio show for most of my four years in college. But I barely spoke. And by the way, uh, like people will say to me, hey, you have a good voice for radio. You should do that. And I'm like, yeah, I, <laughs> I had a radio show. But you could, like, if you were to search through the tapes, you'd find me, like, begrudgingly listing the songs after they're there. I'm like, no one listening to radio wants to hear the damn DJ just play the songs, and um, I did do a couple of creative things. I, uh, I mixed my love of, of hip-hop and jazz and comedy. Uh, I played, you know, 12 Inches have uh, like an instrumental version of the song as well. I, uh, I once played Chi Ali's Funky Lemonade instrumental with, uh, with uh, the Moose Hunting Story by Woody Allen simultaneously, and I, well, I got some calls, people like that. People like I like that. Um, there might be a tape somewhere. Um, after that, uh, I was in an improv group, a groundbreaking improv group formed in 2000 that uh, 
for about 15 years, they would, we would do improvised old-time radio shows, so like The Shadow and all that. And it was a, a real groovy affair. And um, besides that, in my life, the person who most symbolizes radio, and for me, public radio is a big thing, my uncle, my mother's only brother, uh, only sibling, was a, uh, a jazz DJ on a publicly funded station in Louisville, Kentucky. And Uncle Phil, he was raised in Maine, but his mother was from Kentucky, and he went to Kentucky as soon as he uh, was of age. And he had this big voice and kind of a big drawl. This is Phil Bailey, not to be confused with slow jam artist Phil Philip Bailey. Um, and Phil Bailey, he would uh, he had a very prankster-ish way about him. Uh, like you know, it's public radio, and it was you can feel that difference. Corporate radio is great; you hear your hits, but to know that someone is choosing the songs, really, you can feel the difference. You know, even if they don't talk much. I love hearing Henry Rollins every Sunday on KCRW. He's, I love the eclectic. You know, I would play everything too on my show. Um, but Uncle Phil would uh, sometimes fuck with his audience by, uh, like, you know, he'd have been doing it for 20 years, and he would just pick uh, a theme. It's like uh, certain songs that there, there are probably like 952 versions of My Funny Valentine. And, like, if he was doing a show on Valentine's Day, he would play two hours of just different versions of My Funny Valentine. Um in fact, as a child, he had access to audio equipment. This is in the 50s. Unusual. He had a reel-to-reel. And to torture my mom, his little sister, he gave their family dog, Pucho, some peanut butter, put the mic right up to Pucho's snout, and recorded him going... Can we turn up the volume a little bit? Because that's what he did. He put it underneath her bed, let her fall asleep, and then played the sound of a dog eating peanut butter at top volume, scaring the shit out of my poor mother as a child uh anyway um my uncle uh yeah he would send me cds he had a cd player before anyone else did 1983 he uh he was the fittest member of my family he, like always kept in shape and uh he came to visit me the only adult member of my family to see me do uh sketch comedy i was at the acme back when that was the only game in town there's no ucb besides groundlings of course was the the other one and uh, groundlings and then Acme, but uh, he came and saw me, and we said a rather uh, emotional goodbye. We weren't that close, and he died two weeks later of a massive heart failure in his sleep. Um, as far as the theme of the show is that the night a DJ saved my life, a year ago, before I did this uh, play last year, I did a one-man show called Tony Danza's Letters to Tupac, <laughs> An Evening with Tony Danza. Where, which I wrote, I was uh, Tony Danza doing his one-man show, made up, about the true fact that he wrote letters to Tupac when Tupac was in prison. So I made up their whole correspondence. There was a real correspondence. I didn't have access to it, so I made it up. But uh, I had titled it cleverly enough that I got a call, and I ignored it because I thought it might be a creditor. Turns out it was John Raby from KPC's off-ramp. He called me personally. There is his voice that I hear every Saturday. Anyone listen to the show? Yeah, he's great, and uh, he invited me to come yammer about my show. So uh, I don't—he didn't save my life, but he did boost ticket sales of my show. <laughs> so uh, support your public radio and uh, and support this. Let's get it on. It's hilarious. You're gonna love it. Uh, let's hear it for Gary Lewis, everybody. Thank you. Ben Quest, everybody. I'm back. Steve, I've been hearing your voice in my headphones all week because I edit the some of the show. You're great, man. 
It's, I feel like it sounds like an insult to say he's got a real voice for radio because that's like kind of his map to an insult. But you do. You have a great voice for radio. It's a pleasure to work with you. Uh, I'm up here because I'm letting you know that we're going to continue the show after this important announcement. Faith and Begara, boys and girls. It's me, your old pal, Fitzslither the Safety Snake, with another thing to be worried about. Hey, do you smell that? Of course you don't. Natural gas is colorless, odorless, and highly explosive. And there could be a major leak in your house right now, and you wouldn't even know it. The slightest spark, and you'll be joining the choir invisible quick as a mongoose. But Fitzslither, how do we know if there's a gas leak? For the love of mercy, lad, don't ask stupid questions. Just get out of the house now while they're still home. Can I grab my shoes real quick? Just go! Okay! Above all, remain calm. Natural gas can sense fear. Count on that. Now where's me pipe? Brought to you by the California State Safety Board and this station. That's from Let's Get It On, guys. Coming next to the stage, here she is, little Kevin, Zachary Barton. Yeah, that was that was fun to play little Kevin. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Day or the night, uh, the way a DJ saved my life. Uh, Tom Clay, anybody know that name? No, okay, good. Um, he was a DJ in the 50s, from the 50s to the 80s, and he was infamous for at least three scandals that I was able to find out. Uh, the first one was, in, some people have heard about this one, in Buffalo in the 50s, he climbed out the studio uh, window onto the billboard of WWOL, and he, while on microphone, told uh, all the teenagers in town that if they wanted to hear Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock, they needed to drive to the center of town and start honking their horns. And he continued to do that for hours and hours and hours, playing the song while all the teenagers converged. And he played until the police called the fire department who took him down, and then he got fired. So that was scandal number one. Uh, scandal number two in Ohio, he built up another huge teen following, and then he was busted for payola, which, if you don't know what payola was, it happened on the game shows, on television, but also in radio. Uh, DJs were getting paid money on the side to play certain songs, which was against the law. And he was busted for uh, $6,000 that he had collected, and he was fired again. And then he worked in Canada, and LA, and Detroit, and he pretty much skimmed and scammed his way across the country, perfecting his signature sign-off, I don't like you. I love you. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard a sound clip where he got a whole audience of teens to shut up while he could say his signature line. It was pretty crazy. And during that time, uh, he hit a real jackpot during the height of uh, Beatlemania. Uh, this time he worked up this promotional scheme where he offered a membership card for the Beatles Booster Club if you sent him $1 and a self-addressed stamped envelope. And he would also include some personal item from the Beatles. So those personal items turned out to be a random cigarette butt or a used <laughs> tissue or nothing at all. And 86,000 people sent him a dollar each to his newly opened P.O. box in Hollywood. And when he was fired, he pocketed that fortune, which I, was, I did some math. In today's money, that'd be about four to $500,000. 
and he lived pretty well for a few years, and then he got back into radio. Um, so in 1971, while working in LA as a fill-in DJ, he created a mashup or a collage um, of music and sound bites. And this is the first one we'll start with. I was eight at the time, and this would always catch my ear because I'd hear a kid on the radio, and it started like this. What is segregation? I don't know what segregation is. Uh, what is bigotry? I don't know what bigotry is. What does uh, hatred mean? I don't know what it is. Uh, what is uh, prejudice? Um, I think it's when somebody's sick. And I love the chimes, the chimes, the passage of time. Uh, the piece is six minutes and 20 seconds, which I'm sure made it popular with DJs who had to pee. Um, it made it up to, the, uh, to number eight in the Billboard charts. Um, the next thing that caught my ear, uh, we're not going to do the whole six minutes. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, the next thing that caught my ear was a coming, it's a march, an army marching cadence. Because uh, when I was eight years old, I was living in Berlin. Uh, during the Cold War, and uh, it, my dad was in the army, and I would often hear the troops singing these marching cadence marches when they were on drills. And I was a Girl Scout at the time. We, being military Girl Scouts, we even had our own marching cadence. Um, I don't know, but I've been told all Girl Scouts are good as gold. I am one, I say it's true. Scouting's great for me and you. Right? But my favorite was, little birdie in the sky, drop some whitewash in my eyes. I'm a Girl Scout. I don't cry. i just glad that cows don't fly. That's a, that's a, a crowd pleaser for a, the Brownie Troop. Um, but this was the height of the Vietnam War and the height of the protest and something that I didn't quite get yet, living in my military bubble. And the mashup goes on to include some really incredibly moving audio of the assassination of JFK and Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy. And it's all backed up by that treacly Muzak rendition of Abraham, Martin, and John. And today, I of course hear it and I hear how manipulative it is, but when I was eight, I stopped everything to listen to this song. So imagine yourself at eight years old, playing with your favorite toy, and then stopping to listen to this. Yeah, that's enough. That. <laughs> um, my husband said nobody wants to listen to the Kennedy assassination on a Friday night, Zachary. <laughs> um, I think that by all practical purposes, I should be a conservative. I grew up in Germany and Texas. Ach. Uh, I come from a long line of military daughters and wives, four generations of them. 
I was steeped in patriotism and sacrifice for the good of the country, and I should have been a grandmother now, maybe a great-grandmother even, um, and probably I should have been a Trump voter. But some DJ, down on his luck, for pretty good reasons probably, made a bit of art that resonated enough to make the Billboard Top 10, which meant it got regular play on Armed Forces Radio, and resonated with me enough to make me the anti-war social justice warrior, I embrace that title, that I am today. A little kid was forever changed. It reminds me of my favorite quote from George Bernard Shaw. Next to torture, art persuades fastest. Long live the artist, long live the DJ, and long live the resistance. Take a moment later and, and enjoy her shoes uh, if you get a chance. Zachary Barton. Oh my God. Got to keep the show moving. So many talented people. Sweet dear friend of mine come up. An assistant uh, music supervisor of this show. Help me uh, uh, program uh, a lot of the jams. How about a warm welcome for Sharon Houston. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to get that title. Um, so, you guys, I was a DJ in college at Texas Tech University. I know I had really low, uh, low aspirations for myself. Um, Texas Tech, our, our motto is get your guns up, Red Riders. And then everybody does little guns, and we have a, a foghorn, not foghorn, um, not foghorn leghorn, the other. Thank you. Of course, in a comic book store, someone's going to know. The, uh, Yosemite Sam, and our motto at the station was KTXT, Lubbock's new music source. <laughs> so we <laughs> loved having fun with that. Now, the FCC makes you do certain things when you're a DJ. Some of you guys know this. At the top of the hour, you have to announce the time. You have to do the call letters. And then we were also required to read the weather. And we had this box. that we, It was like a tiny little CB radio box. And you'd hit it. And a, an AM radio type voice would go, it is 65 degrees outside, windy, will be sunny all day. So that's how we would know the weather. And then we'd go on and go, hi, this is Sharon Houston at KTXT, Lubbock's new music source. <laughs> it's going to be 62 degrees today. And now let's listen to REM. Now, we didn't get to play REM. And that's, uh, this is uh, what was really weird about our station. We had this guy that was literally like the Mr. Burns of the radio station. <laughs> but he was a student and he was like tall, skinny and lanky and would come in and go, we run this like a CHR station and that's the way it is. CHR means contemporary hit radio. That's like rock 98.7, whatever bullshits. I'm a KCRW subscriber. <laughs> so I don't know what the fuck, I listen to K-Day too, but I don't know what that other shit is. It's that shit. It's like Kiss, it's, you, we had a clock and I would have to, you know, I'd have to play every song that he programmed. And it was music I hated. Sorry, guys, hated Paula Abdul. Sorry, everybody, didn't listen to boy bands, thought they sucked. Hated it. So I would sit there at my DJ job, and I'd be like, oh, I've got to play this fucking bullshit. But it, during, on the weekends, I did have a special show, like Gary was saying, the little niches. And it was two hours. The first hour was called Artist Spotlight, and I could pick whatever artist I wanted, and I would just play songs from that artist for an hour. 
The second hour, I had to play some bullshit <laughs> that Mr. Burns wanted me to play. And I hated it, and I'm very stubborn, and I'm very, like, if you tell me I have to do something, I'm like, I ain't doing it. Like, it makes me really want to just, it makes me so mad. And all the other DJs at the station were like, we're a fucking college station. Why are we playing Top 40? Lubbock has that. You know, we should be the cutting edge different people. So I had a lot of fans that listened to my show. My favorite people were from a small town outside of Lubbock called Muleshoe. And I, it was one night that I was playing, I decided I was going to Husker Do. I was like, let's just fucking go deep. So I was playing Husker Do cuts all night long, and these guys called me up. They are like, hi, how you doing? We're in our trailer out here in Muleshoe. We ain't never heard of Husker Do. We think this is just great. Thank you so much. <laughs> that guy inspired me to fuck with Mr. Burns. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So that night, I had to play a Huey Lewis album. Yeah, I don't even remember which album it was. I just remember it was white on the front. I don't even know what songs were on it. I was so fucking pissed, and I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to make these guys in Mule Shoe. They're not going to have to listen to this garbage. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play the record on 45, even though it's 33. <laughs> and then when it's over, I can go back to Who's Do and my fans in Mule Shoe. So <laughs> that's what I did. So I said that... I, I wish we had known each other in college. We would have been best friends. So I played it on 45, and I just sat there like this, and I just waited for someone to call in and call me out on it. My phone didn't ring. Didn't, nothing happened until, like, halfway through. I get a call, and it's Mr. Burns. He's like, Sharon, what's going on at the radio station? And I'm like, everything's going great. I read the weather. The album plays going great. People really loved Husker Du. And he goes... You're playing that album too fast, aren't you? I was like, no, no, I'm, look, I'm checking it right, no, it's totally fine. Well, it sounds like you're playing it on 45 and it's 33. <sighs> so I got busted and I just put it back to 33. But I did have 10 extra minutes at the end of the hour to go back to Husker Du. And everybody at the radio station was like, fuck yeah, Sharon Houston, you did it, fuck CHR. And then, fall semester, they offered me an EDM show called Metropolis. So I feel like I won. Thank you so much. Sharon Houston, everybody. Uh, Sharon is my favorite combination of uh, the kind of person who really knows how to get shit done. She's just like a dynamo, but she also knows how to cause trouble in a very efficient way. So uh, she's the best. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today and go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.